Привет, and welcome to Zakrdonia Ukrainci, or UK Life Report. I'm joined today with Christiana and Uliana and the organization Givchata. So do you want to just give a brief explanation about your project and kind of the aims and goals that you have? Yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having us and featuring us on your um, show. We're really happy to be here. And basically what Divchata is, is it's obviously dedicated to women, uh, specifically Ukrainian women and girls. Um, and really what we wanted to do uh, is create a platform and a means by which Ukrainian women living in Ukraine um, and the diaspora, whether that's in the United States or Europe or beyond, um, even in Australia or different places, um, could connect and learn from one another. And through that connection and learning, find mutual support, um, mutual empowerment, and really a place where their stories could be shared. Um, so what that's practically looked like is us starting kind of at the end of last year and um, through this year having platforms on Instagram and Facebook and groups of members in mainly New York City as well as Kiev, where we do everything from posts um, to pre-COVID uh, in-person events and meetings um, where we focus on all of the very different women's issues in the U.S. and around the world in Ukraine as well, um, the differences and similarities between what some of those issues are, and really try to learn from each other and feature women's stories. So why did you join up together to kind of start this project, not only for just Ukrainians and women in general, but what was kind of like your inspiration for this? Yeah, definitely. Good question. Um, well, Ulana and I grew up together, so we've known each other our whole lives. Classic Ukrainian, um, just doing all the same things together in class and just different activities. Um, and we were both living in New York. And I think what really drew us to this problem, pro not problem, project, and why we banded together um, was because I sort of on my own was just thinking about, okay, like, what is something that I can do, I think sort of when you move into quote unquote the real world as a young person, you start seeing a lot of these different inequalities that maybe you hadn't thought about or really seen as much, um, or maybe were a bit sheltered from growing up, but you start to see just the differences that exist um, between women and men and just how different things happen, whether it's in the workplace or family-wise, um, et cetera, et cetera. And it was something that I started really thinking about and focusing on. and. I started thinking about the fact that, okay, in at least in my experience in America, there are a lot of organizations dedicated to girl power and promoting women, whether it's in the workforce or in academia or it is. And there are a lot of organizations like that dedicated um, specifically in Ukraine, um, but also in the diaspora around the world to women. But I didn't feel like there was something that was sort of unifying all of those different initiatives under one umbrella and that and i thought that there could be kind of a power from from uniting all of these women around the world that do have this common heritage this common ukrainian heritage which obviously is something that bonds people a lot given the fact that we're talking to you halfway around the world and how cool would it be if we could create that kind of a community and Ulana is this superstar super involved in whether it's Razum or going to Ukraine and volunteering so that is when I linked up with her and I will let her take it from there about how we sort of kept going with the project yeah so when uh Christina approached me about the idea i loved it immediately um it took a few meetings to sort of figure out exactly what it would be but 
Um, I really like the idea from the start. Personally, my interest in creating the project stemmed from my trip to Ukraine, like Christina said. So for the last three summers, I've been a counselor at summer camps with children in Ukraine. Um, and I started noticing that there's a huge disparity between um, how girls and boys or women and men are treated there and what's expected of them, the social norms for women versus men and girls versus boys. And that inequality sort of stems from a very young age. Um, so I started noticing that in the past few summers. Um, and these girls often grow up thinking that this is the norm and they haven't really necessarily seen role models outside of that norm um, who strive for equality or independence, having a voice, etc. So at the same time, there's also that inequality that exists in the US or um, in the West in general, Western Europe. Um, so we have our own unique issues here, obviously, but we also relate to many of the issues that women face in Ukraine. So I think it's important to really bridge that gap and connect those populations to so Ukrainian women around the whole world. So in Ukraine and in the West. So I really like the idea and we wanted to open up a dialogue around these issues that we face, think of potential solutions and provide a platform where these inspirational women can tell their story. And that's sort of how it started. So with this current focus in trying to improve the situation and the disparities between men and women in general, and not just in Ukraine specifically, but also in the West as well, uh, what do you hope to achieve uh, with these goals and focus as well? So we've actually outlined three goals for the project. Uh, the first being unite Ukrainian girls and women from all over the world to really create that community. The second is inspiring and supporting each of them. Um, and the third is discussing and analyzing social issues that these girls and women face and coming up with potential solutions or ways to deal with them. So that really summarizes our mission as Project Yuchata. And currently we do that, like Christina mentioned, through social media and in virtual and in-person events. So obviously you've done quite a bit uh, already. And uh, I do recount that you did have an interview with, was it Hristana or? From uh, we hosted a speaker, Dasha, um, uh, from okay. Ukraine. So with her and obviously your other uh, events that you've held, what is your biggest inspiration and who are the people who have inspired you to kind of start doing all this work for Ukrainians and women? Yeah, I think that in terms of the speakers and the people that we get really inspired by and we want to feature, a lot of it comes pretty organically just because we have this really great um, Ukrainian network of amazing women who are doing really interesting things in a lot of different fields around the world. So whether that's journalism, um, psychology, sociology, um, business, art, um, fashion, whatever it might be, a lot of times we have someone come to us and say like, hey, my friend, my sister, my mother, whoever is doing X, Y, Z. Um, and obviously we want to feature those people as much as possible. So I think what inspires us is it's not even any specific qualification. It's just the fact that women are doing such amazing things in so many different spheres around the world. And those kinds of leaders in the community are people who we want to feature because we want to give their story um, a wide audience um, around the globe we are trying to build, obviously. So I think one of our most high impact and inspiring events, kind of like you alluded to, was the one that we had with Dasha in New York, um, pre-COVID, obviously. But basically, Dasha is a rock star. She has, she's an author. She basically kind of was going through her life, um, doing her job, being interested in psychology, um, in sociology, a lot of different fields. And then one day she thought to herself, like, 
basically her motto that she really adopts a lot of the time is what would I do if I wasn't afraid? So what am I doing right now and what could I be doing and how am I holding myself back and sort of falling into maybe some of these traditional gender um, stereotypes and what would I do if I wasn't afraid to shatter those? Um, So she wrote this book called Boyfriends um, that takes the story of many different women um, from around the world and puts them into one, which I won't give away too much about it, but is very cool. Um, She also founded what's even more inspiring um, is this space, this creative women's space she founded in Kiev, where basically it's like an incubator almost. So all of these different women, it started off as a series of meetings um, between this circle of women, um, which obviously we're extremely aligned with because we think that that's one of the most powerful things is just getting together a circle of women and speaking about what are we all doing? What are we dreaming of doing? What are our goals, et cetera, et cetera. So basically she got together this group of women. It started like that. And now what it is, is it's a platform um, and an actual physical place, uh, kind of like an incubator for these women's businesses um, and initiatives and also for different events and discussions. So they've done some really, really cool stuff. And basically in New York, she was just traveling there and we got in touch with her and she, we got to interview her and she spoke about her experience, her book, um, the other women that she works with in creative women's space. And I think that was so cool for us because a lot of the people who came to it weren't people that we even had known before. They just had, they saw the event and they thought it was really cool and they wanted to come. Um, and the feedback that we got from that is first of all, people learned something. They learned about really cool, interesting things that are going on in modern day cave that they might not have known about otherwise. And they also got to hear from this really cool woman. Um, So I think that was a really high impact event. And then obviously at the risk of sounding very cheesy, um, we're constantly by our members just generally and specifically our working team um, where the way that we meet with, we get on the phone with, we do Zoom calls with, um, we meet down as apartment with, um, who are all doing amazing things, but yet find time um, to dedicate to this project um, because of the passion they have for uniting Ukrainian women around the world. So, so far, what are the biggest challenges that you've faced uh, in organizing any events that you've held or in just general, just trying to start up uh, your organization or project? So obviously we want to have a global presence. So we want to connect Ukrainian women around the world, like I said, so here in the US, in the West, uh, North America, Western Europe, and uh, those girls and women in Ukraine. and that mean, meaning both we want to cater to those audiences, so in terms of our followers, and we also want to have those people on our team. So like Tristan mentioned, we have a, a sort of like a private planning team and we plan all our posts, opportunities, speakers, things like that. Um, so I'd say the biggest challenge is to find the best way to bridge all of those geographies together. Um, so deciding between in-person versus virtual events and whether one is um, pretty exclusive versus inclusive. Obviously, we have a language barrier, so whether the platform should be in Ukrainian, English, or even Russian. So sometimes we have issues um, translating or like getting subtitles, things like that. Um, and even the issues themselves that women face. So a lot of the issues that um, women in the West face are fairly different from um, the issues that that women in Ukraine face. So um, striking a balance between all of those audiences is something that is always a challenge, but it's an exciting one. Um, and as well, just being as inclusive as possible. So we are a platform. We want to be open to all kinds of views so we can learn from each other. We don't want to turn off any audiences. So uh, we always have to be careful to not really lean too much towards one ideology and be exclusive 
um, we really want to allow people to share their ideas and opinions because we want to hear them. So with this biggest challenge that you're facing right now, have you ever felt any challenges coming from within your community in America or just any local residents that have come across your organization and they've kind of had some pushback against your ideas or has it all been supportive so far? I would say it's been overwhelmingly supportive. The only sort of negative, not even negative feedback, but a question that we always get is, um, is there, is this also for men? So is this platform just for women and girls or is it also for men and boys? Um, and Dasha, actually our speaker, got asked this question as well, whether her creative women space is just for women or um, are men allowed to? Um, and I really like her answer to it and I kind of align with it for Deep Chata is that um, of course, yes, we're inclusive for men and boys, but the issues, the specific um, market that we cater towards is women. Um, so it's not, we're not at all trying to be exclusive towards the other audience. So I'd say that's the only sort of uh, question that we've gotten. But aside from that, we've had overwhelming support from the Ukrainian community here in the US, New York City specifically, and also just globally. People have reached out a lot wanting to get involved or supporting us, following us. We've partnered with Razum for Ukraine in New York, so they've supported us from the start. We actually became a project under them. Um, and so we got a bunch of women involved through Razum. So a lot of our planning team um, is also, they're also members of Razum. Like Kristina said, during the event with Sasha, people came from all over. So men, women, we did have a wide audience. And then as well, Girls in Cave reached out to us. So we do have a presence, um, a whole group of women in Cave uh, planning things over there. So that was really exciting. A few in Western Europe. We partnered with Plast, um, so we gave um, some young girls there a hutirka around uh, gender and women's issues in Plast. Um, so we really do have a great audience and group of followers, and it's exciting to see people so eager to speak with us about the platform or wanting to get involved themselves. Uh, moving on to my last point is how do you get people involved with your movement? So you've already mentioned that a lot of organizations have come into contact with you, that you're have a uh, social presence on the internet as well. Are you getting a lot of traction via these connections online or are you still having uh, an uphill battle trying to grow? I mean, obviously it's not the easiest um, to grow when you can't see people in person and sort of tell them, okay, come follow us or we're gonna have this really, really cool event. Um, specifically in March, we were gonna have like a pretty high focus event that I feel like would have really boosted um, our following just because of who we were going to have the event with. But for now, we're just honestly doing what we can in the COVID era. Um, so hopefully people are spending a lot of time on their phones and we have some interesting posts coming up, some interviews that we've done um, and different things like that. So while it was a little slow and kind of hard at first to figure out like, okay, what are our next steps right now, given the fact that we're a bit restricted, um, physically, I guess. Um, we've really crowdsourced our membership and thought to ourselves, okay, what can we be doing to maximize this time? And so I think that with what we have coming down the pipe, hopefully we will grow. But to your point, we are pretty new. Um, we really just got started um, late, late December, um, really not officially, I would say until Jan, Feb um, with this organization. So we're just a few months old, um, still trying to grow, get the word out. We have been lucky enough to partner um, with a really, really talented group of um, girls in Ukraine who helped us with our branding as well. Um, so definitely still early stage, but very hopeful, I guess, for the future. 
Well, I'd like to congratulate you on your success so far. I hope you do grow. But for everyone else listening, please have a follow at Jifchata uh, on Facebook and Instagram. Do you have any other social media or any other contexts that you want to include as well? We're on Facebook at Project Divchata and then Instagram at uh, Divchata with two underscores after it. And yeah, we're always looking for followers, obviously. And if anyone ever wants to get involved in sort of the back end planning, uh, we always have people approach us for that. And then we add them to our private group, have meetings every few weeks. So always excited to have more members. I really enjoyed having this interview with you guys and I hope you did as well. Yeah, thanks, Andre. This was awesome. Thank you for reaching out. So I'm sure a lot of people have been coming up with creative things to do while they're stuck inside in quarantine. I've heard TikTok is a thing, which I'm not really into, but, um, you know, there's exercise, there's quilting, there's cooking. um, And these sisters in Pennsylvania have done this amazing thing. They're doing something that would really, really help healthcare workers. They're creating, they're sewing their own homemade masks to combat coronavirus and they're sending them off to the people that really need them which i think is just a really beautiful thing to do this comes from a long tradition of sewing and embroidery that uh ukrainians pass on to their you know their kids their grandkids it's it's something that you can say oh you know my my ancestors did this and it's something to be really proud of and i think it's really fitting that these sisters are taking a tradition that's theirs and and spreading it you know to the rest of their their town in a way that's going to be helpful uh it also is fitting i should mention because saint basil the great which is the patron saint that these sisters have belonged to he himself was a patron saint of hospital administrators and in his time saint basil the great founded all these charitable institutions to aid the poor the ill and travelers and so it's quite poetic that these sisters are, are taking his legacy and they're combining it with their own traditions to help people that's so cool that these nuns are getting involved because that's not something that many people associate nuns doing is sewing face masks for charity yeah exactly speaking of you alexa you used to work or do you still work in a hospital i still work in a hospital it's very still work in a hospital do you think that that sort of gesture would be welcome here in australia I think so. It would be, um, it would be, well, uh, it would be a very good gesture. Like, thankfully, we haven't experienced too many mask shortages in Australia. So it'd probably be, uh, it might be well received by the public. But any kind of charity, like at hospitals, is greatly appreciated because it's, you know, funded by the public. And so every bit helps. Are there any, like, specific health guidelines they have to abide by, Alexa, with your knowledge of face masks, I guess? Um, So there's different types of face masks. So depending on what material they're making it from, but most likely the masks that they're making will be useful to doctors and nurses who have to come in and deal with the patients or to visiting family and friends, you know, can come in, spend time with their loved ones whilst they're sick whilst the more like high-tech masks that stop uh, spreading that you'd give to the patient, those will need to be made in a factory. So with masks, the type of fabric that you use is really important because you need to have a tight weave that will stop the particles from getting through. 
uh, and also you need to be able to filter the air out, which uh, can be done by using multiple layers. And creating a tight seal is also really important, like around the nose and the mouth. And the way that like surgical masks do this is they'll, you know, they'll have a, a metal piece around the nose that'll help you mold the mask to your face. And then when it goes under the chin, it, it covers your mouth up. But you shouldn't go out and then start making your own masks and then expecting it to work. That's probably what the nuns did. They probably went to the hospital and said, what can we help you with? Or like, how can we help you deal with this crisis? And they would have said, you know, you can help us with face masks because there's a global shortage at the moment. Here's how you make a mask. And I think this um, act of generosity is being um, exemplified across the globe with like different charities and kids all sewing masks for the community. And, you know, every bit helps because then it relieves pressure on the supply chain and provides um, more masks for general circulation as well. Before we go, here are some things that happened during the week we think you'll find interesting. It was the 30th anniversary of the Declaration of State Sovereignty in Ukraine. This month marks the 6th anniversary of the dining of MH17. Ukraine is purchasing naval boats from France as a way of beefing up its military. Protests erupt over proposed changes to the Ukrainian language law. Learn more about Jivchata by following them at Jivchata with two underscores on Instagram. You can also find more UK Life Abroad content at ukliferabroad.com as well as on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter.